from Digitiki.com. It was a quiet day at the Rigby Reardon Detective Agency. I had a hangover. Business was so slow, I was rereading old newspapers. I was even thinking of closing up the office for a few days. But all of a sudden... Welcome to the Quiet Village. to The Quiet Village. I'm your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from digitiki.com, broadcasting from deep within the jungly heart of The Quiet Village. Actually, I'm not in the jungly heart of The Quiet Village. I'm on the seedy underbelly of The Quiet Village. <laughs> yeah, I and, and I don't have my Mai Tai. In fact, I have got the most appropriate drink for this. I have black coffee. But it's still... A little bit tiki because it's coconut coffee. And I am here with good friend Skip Heller, accomplished musician. Welcome, Skip. It's great to be back with you. I am excited uh, to have you here. Um, we talked about doing this weeks and weeks ago. And we actually talked about doing it a couple of years ago. I think you're yes. When we started rehearsing the Hollywood Film Noir Orchestra, it was right before COVID. It was, wasn't it? It oh was. My Our first gig was supposed to be April of, I guess, 2019. Yes. It's been that long. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's finally here, and I am actually holding in my hand the album called Dark Passages, the Hollywood Film Noirchestra, which is a collection of amazing film noir movie pieces, themes, and it is really cool and it's even cooler because I'm on there <laughs> yeah played your ass off and engineered because you did um, we had a, an overdub session Cesar Ventura wonderful percussionist yes he was I mean like he was the one take wonder too he always is I mean we used him on the Joe Batan record which you're also he, on he's just a brilliant player and, and is a really lovely person. So yeah, we're taking a little uh, departure from uh, the tiki, which is always good once in a while to do. I love to do it because, uh, you know, there's a lot more music than just tiki out there. Even though this podcast is based on tiki stuff, I will tell you now that when we did the spy jazz show and the Bond music shows, the, the single most po- I get the most emails from people telling me how much they love it. Even people who just discovered the show and they'll tell me I just found your show I'm going through all the episodes so far my favorite is the spy and the bond the episodes so um, I was excited to do this so well there's no there's no limit to the human capacity for dark behavior right (laughs) exactly (laughs) so we are going to do film noir and we're gonna we're gonna play some tracks from this uh, this really cool album and for those of you that might not be familiar with film noir it's it's different from spy jazz because it's not the spies and gadgets and the the cool martini lounge it actually guys. evolved into that yes like my my theory is sort of um you know obviously with film noir really we can say like double indemnity is to um film noir what rock around the clock is to rock and roll which is <laughs> It might not be the first example, but it's like the de- the declaration of existence. Explain film noir. Basically, film noir is 90% of the time in black and white. It's a guy with a fedora, a gun, and a woman leading him astray, both morally and legally. And it's not just black and white. It's like extreme black and white. Well, I was going to say is, and when we say film noir, we mean high contrast. So the famous thing of the the lights coming in through the Venetian blinds, the blacks are very black. The shadow really dominates the the visual aspect of the discourse. And the language is very clipped. Yeah. 
Most references to women are completely misogynistic. <laughs> um, yes, they are. Because usually it's the woman leading some poor schmuck, you know, down. <laughs> she has greased the banister and pushed him down it so that he is going far past the basement. That's right. Yeah, and we were just actually, before this, earlier we were talking about film noir. It's not all in black and white because you... you yeah, Chinatown. Chinatown is... Laura. There are color movies that follow the the film noir template. We When we think of film noir internationally, mm-hmm. you could argue the greatest of all the film noir movies is a French film called Rafifi. Yeah. Oh, yes. Which is... I would say the greatest heist movie ever made. And it is film noir down to its, you know, guy gets out of jail, hooks up with his girlfriend, who's now the gun mall for a French gangster. That's pretty noir. Yeah. Um, Also, there's uh, Kurosawa's The Bad Sleep Well and High and Low. And the visual tropes in all of these movies are... They're completely in line with what literally is launched by um, Double Indemnity. The character archetypes, especially... And the fedoras. And the fedoras, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to get a little bit deeper into some of the aspects of film noir, and I want to talk to you about film noir-adjacent movies and a film noir comedy spoof later like on murder by death or something uh, actually um dead men don't wear plaid oh dead men don't wear plaid it's what we were talking about carl reiner over breakfast and that movie and in fact we'll talk about it a little bit because i want to get into the music so let's let's play a couple of tracks from this brand new record and if you can't get it right now it is going to be reissued it will be going into a second pressing in january already a second already pressing. yeah it's this is this pressing is Almost sold out, so the new copies will be here in January. Same tunes, different order, different cover, uh, and a label called Killer Kern, K-E-R-N, in Bakersfield will be putting this out. Killer, like Kern County. <laughs> yeah, like the Kern River. Okay. Uh, Very cool. So, all right, what tune do you want to kick off with? Let's start with Street Moods and Jazz, because even though it's not from a film, it's a great composition. It says everything about film noir that I could ever hope to. Right on. Here we go. So the Hollywood Film Noir Orchestra, headed by Maestro, Skip Heller. <laughs> My Astro. <laughs> My Astro. <laughs> Skip Heller on the darkened streets of Los Angeles. Here we go with Street Mood in Jazz.
touch of evil. And that uh, right before that, those were two from the film New Orchestra's new album, Dark Passages. We kicked off with street, uh, sorry, street moods in jazz. And then we played uh, a classic touch of evil. And that brings us to the man himself. Um, yeah, let's let's actually preface that with um, street moves and jazz. Is it, if you recognize it, you probably recognize it from Twilight Zone, the one about the guy who gets uh, captivated by slot machines, and a lot of a lot of the more film noir episodes use street moves and jazz, and it's it's such a classic. And I used to have it as a ringtone on my <laughs> phone, and Touch of Evil. Henry Mancini's first all-original score. Mancini really made his mark with a television show called Peter Gunn. And yes. I mean, you and I are almost too young to know about Peter Gunn because they didn't really rerun it when we were kids. They very didn't. Often. No. Right. Um, I discovered Peter Gunn through the Peter Gunn theme when I was in high school jazz band. So did I. Mr. Kaufman, I discovered it through that, and um, so I got the Peter Gunn album, because we were going to be playing it in jazz band, and I fell in love with the whole record. That is a fantastic record, front to back. It's a very light style of jazz, it's really funny, you go like, okay, well what else was happening in 1959 in the world of jazz? Let's see, Coltrane's doing Giant Steps, Miles is doing Kind of Blue, Uh, Brubeck's doing Take Five. And what wins Grammy for Album of the Year? Peter Gunn. Peter Gunn. Which is just three-minute, very bite-sized, very breezy jazz compositions. Yeah. Let me tell you, as you know, I've transcribed these and taken them apart, and (laughs) it's really wonderful music. So that became my gateway into Mancini and film music generally. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, there was a there was an art house movie theater uh, in Philadelphia called the Theater of the Living Arts (TLA). That was also where I saw my first foreign movie. Mm. Also, that was where I saw The Thin Man and Rafifi as a double feature oh, when I was nice. about sixteen. Yeah, and we as Americans have this awful tendency to think of film as blockbuster movies yes what's what's the definitive american film experience well it's gonna be spielberg (laughs) spielberg you know i I expected a lot more from that guy he made jaws oh Oh, which which i took my kids to see because it was in the theaters last month for two weeks so i took my kids to see jaws to terrorize them at the age that i saw it and was terrorized (laughs) (laughs) and it was it still held up. Oh, man, it's just... Uh, and, and there's so many lessons to be learned from that movie. Oh. So next time you're thinking about voting Republican, remember, <laughs> the mayor in Jaws 2 is the same guy that was the mayor in Jaws 1. Right. How badly do you have to mess up? He kept his <laughs> job. <laughs> just remember that in 2024, kids. Oh, that's true. But, so... But the the thing that I was going to say is when you start going to an art house type of movie theater, now all of a sudden the idea idea of getting a falafel, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you start, the world starts to open up Mm -hmm. a little more. And I, I met the world largely because I started getting interested in these movies that did not come from my culture. I remember going to see, like, The Harder They Come, because I already liked reggae music. And within two weeks of that, I had found the Jamaican record store in in West Philadelphia that also sold Jamaican uh, curry and Jamaican newspapers. A new world opened. My world opened. It wasn't even new. It was literally six blocks from where I was born. I had no idea that right near where I was pushed around in a stroller, mm-hmm. I could get curried goat. <laughs> Which, if you've never had curried goat, have curried goat. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to go Anthony Bourdain on you, but, you know. 
Well, talking about Mancini, the one thing I, I was mentioning to you before we came back from those tunes, I actually had been familiar a little bit with Mancini because of Pink Panther. Pink Panther and also the Pink Panther cartoon yes. of our childhood where the uh, the sketches with the aardvark um, used shot in the dark. And I, from my perspective, I had come to Mancini from very lush lounge kind of stuff. And later after Peter Gunn in, in, in uh, high school, in the high school band, realized that he had done so much crime jazz, film noir stuff, really amazing stuff. And in fact, um, even breakfast at Tiffany's, which when you think of it, takes place in the city during the day. But whenever we see Audrey Hepburn's character by herself, it tends to be a little moodier. Yeah. You know, which is a really great juxtaposition. Yeah. Okay, let's do some other tunes. What do you what do you want to play? You brought some tunes too, right? Yeah, I would I'd like to play some different stuff. Let's play Contract with Depravity from The Hustler. Okay. Here. Um which is on the Crime Jazz CD. Yes. Uh did uh, the late Warren Kolodny. He had Steve Alper at Atomic Records and I oh. work on it with him, and I did the liner notes for this one. Oh, cool. Yeah, literally, I, I hit the ground running here in Los Angeles in 95, and first thing that I did was uh, help compile Crime Jazz. Second thing I did was a tune on the Henry Mancini Shots in the Dark uh, Delphi tribute. Uh, okay, so here we go. Kenton. Kenyon Hopkins. Kenyon Hopkins. Doing Contract with Depravity right here on the seedy side of the I hope you're going to soap that in reverb and echo.
Mr. Lucky, right there. Featuring John, Mr. Star Wars Williams on the Hammond organ. Right, and and as I was just mentioning, too, when we were listening to it, um, John Williams also played on the Voodoo record, the original yeah. Voodoo. Yeah, and uh, on Peter Gunn, and he's on a lot of Les Baxter stuff, too. I mean, he he was such a prolifically used piano player in the 50s and even in the 60s that he would have been very well-remembered even if he had never written any film score, let alone so many that are so famous. Yeah, I, I wanted to bring up something, too, about Mr. Lucky, yeah. uh, which is that as film noir comes into the television age, it goes very well into television. You know, the, proce- the police procedural in general, Dragnet, right. the obvious one, but Peter Gunn established Blake Edwards and Henry Mancini both. But it wasn't a film. It was a television show. Yep. You know, by the 60s, you're not seeing too many classic film noir type movies anymore. The Hustler, that might be like one of the last real that or maybe certain aspects of Love with the Proper Stranger. But I wouldn't say that's as purely a noir type of thing. Yeah. Um, But what happens is... The film noir loner character, which is basically an update of the cowboy stranger who comes to town and goes for truth and justice by himself. Well, now instead of a horse and a cowboy hat, now he's got a big American car and a fedora, and the gun is a forty-five instead of, you know, a revolver or something. Yeah. And then the next progression is the more... Uh, the more glamorous man from uncle James Bond aspect of they things. They start getting suave and sophisticated. They start getting suave and sophisticated. And the other thing is right in time for color television. To yeah. Come in. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of, and, and the dogs just came home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dogs always come back. <laughs> but, uh, as color comes in it, now it's no longer, the down-on-his-heels private eye. Now it's a little more James Bond. And the principal composer of that is, of course, John Barry. Yeah. As James Bond replaces Mike Hammer, the music changes to reflect that. Yes. You know, we can hear the influence of Morricone. Yes. You know, with the... You know, believe it or not, which is like an Italian rewrite of Dwayne Eddy type <laughs> guitar playing. Right. But John Barry's first movie wasn't for anything as uh, highbrow as James Bond. It was for a, a film called Beat Girl, which is a British juvenile yes. delinquent movie um, about a teenage girl, a rebellious teenage girl who finds out that his her father's new wife is a former stripper. <laughs> Really a lovely family picture. <laughs> uh, right out of the box, already the hallmarks of all this stuff, just the way it's going to be in the Bond movies, except with a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. I think Beat Girl is absolutely wonderful. You want to um, play a track from that? I was going to say, actually, let's let's play my version, okay. just because uh, it was really hard for me to play that guitar part I I had always assumed it was played on some kind of solid body electric guitar. Uh huh. It turned out it was played on a late thirties German archtop guitar. Huh. Yeah, which uh, by a guy named Vic Flick, who went on to also play on the 007 theme, also with this very same guitar. So I said, "Well, I will use my archtop guitar." I was like. Man, it was really exhausting because this, you have to sort of reach your arm around to, as opposed to a solid body guitar where you just kind of rest your arm. Yeah. And by the end of it, I was really cursing my decision to be as period precise <laughs> as possible. But the result was good. I, it, it came out well, and uh, I really want to point to uh, Christopher Berg just playing that high trumpet part so clean and so effortlessly that when we put the mellifonium part under it, mellifonium is sort of like uh, 
a French horn meets a flugelhorn. Yeah. So Christopher Berg is featured here, and even though he's not soloing, you can hear he's really leading the band and playing his tail off. Okay, so Skip's own record, the new um, record, Dark Passages, by the Hollywood Film Noirchestra. This is their version of the proto-Bond sound, right? Yeah, this, this is, is, and it, the transcription's pretty faithful, so... Right on, so here we go. This is John Barry's Beat Girl.
Right on. I'm going to let you introduce that tune because that was new to me. That was from The Man from Uncle. And uh, as we are talking about the sort of James Bondification of the detective into the secret agent, let's call it, that piece of music was written by another one of my favorite human beings that ever walked the earth. That was Robert Dresden wrote that set of music for um, the Tigers Are Coming Affair episode of Man From U.N.C.L.E. Every episode of Man From U.N.C.L.E. was Affair, uh-huh. the Fox and Hounds Affair, the Dippy Blonde Affair. And that The Tigers Are Coming Affair I like because it's very pseudo-international, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just Bob and Jerry Goldsmith, but now Lalo Schifrin, who went on to become more famous for doing um, Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. That type of writing, uh, which had sitars, and um, even Mancini got into the act a little bit with the party. Um, so I wrote uh, a tune called Street of No Return, which is titled after a David Goodis novel. Just because David Goodis is probably the greatest of the the um, film noir uh, pulp novelists to come from my hometown, Philadelphia. And, and that was the tune we heard right before Tiger's right. Coming Affair. And you'll notice it's got uh, very klezmer clarinet and sitar yeah. and Latin percussion. So it's definitely me drawing on what Bob, Lalo Schifrin, and you know, the other really wonderful composers of that time did in the wake of John Barry. Because as as cool as John Barry can be, Hollywood still had it over. You know, like, even though Lalo came here from Brazil, he he became part of the Hollywood thing very quickly. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith was still active, and Goldsmith is just really... I, I think when we're talking about the great composers of the 20th century, if we're not mentioning Jerry Goldsmith, definitely we're missing a spot. I could not agree more. You I mean, know, listen to planet of the apes, planet of the apes, very avant-garde percussionist kind of an album. And then Patton Patton. Yes. Um, there was also a Western that he wrote the theme for called the loner. I, I'm not familiar with that one. The Loner was the next show Rod Serling launched after Twilight Zone. Oh. And it was basically an existential Western. Goldsmith wrote a theme for that that is just one of the absolute... Mm. Um, I think Barry will definitely go down as one of the great stylists. Yes. This being said, though, <laughs> with the exception of Mancini, nobody did more for the guitar in film scoring than John Barry. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, we opened with Beat Girl, but the cue we played after that was from the film Pachulia, which is definitely like swinging London, definitely the Twiggy era. Yes, and, and that, was another, that was another film I, I knew nothing about. I, you know, I only knew about... That film, because uh, a girl who I dated a million years ago had put that cue, it's called Eat Topless, Yeah. on um, on a cassette for me, on a mixtape. You know this is the 80s, because we're right. talking mixtape. <laughs> and, uh, and I just fell in love with that and started looking for more of his music. And unfortunately, to my taste, a lot of it is very out-of-Africa type stuff, very conventional. Mm-hmm. And also... Those Bond records, they ain't nothing. <laughs> there's there's a lot there. But again, I really think Lalo Schifrin was probably the guy who more than anybody else. You go back and listen to the, the score he wrote for Bullet. Oh, yes. That's that's where that, that art reaches his apogee. You know, we hear a lot of sort of imitation funk on things like Streets of San Francisco, you know, the Quinn Martin mm-hmm. productions. It really took Jerry Goldsmith to pull us back in with Chinatown. Ugh. Alex North sort of kicked everything off with the music from Streetcar. But he didn't really return to the the jazzier stuff that often. There was also David Raskin, who, of course, wrote um, The Bad and the Beautiful mm-hmm. and The Big Combo and Laura. 
Well, I take yes, and, and <laughs> my, my wife was named after that movie, and of course, uh, Carol Burnett's version, which was called Flora. Flora. <laughs> so not what, to be confused with Mildred Fierce. Mildred Fierce. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Since you brought it up, let's do the theme from Chinatown. I played with you guys the film noir orchestra in Palm Springs. It was. Was it August? It was in May. May. It was May 26th. Oh, my God. It's, yeah. It doesn't seem that long ago. And we played Chinatown. I just closed my eyes, and that theme is just beautifully brilliant. Again, uh, Christopher Berg, the trumpet player. All right, let's do it. From the Hollywood Film Noir Orchestra. Hollywood right. Film Noir Orchestra. <laughs> the theme... With- Jerry Goldsmith wrote it. Theme from Chinatown.
Not just because that was yours truly on vibes on that one, <laughs> but that is a great song, and that's another film noir tune that you brought to my attention. I it's I uh, the movie it's from is uh, called Foreign Intrigue, and it has Robert Mitchum in it. It's not that great of a movie. I didn't discover it from the movie actually. the The original forty five was by a duo called the Barry Sisters. They were like the Yiddish Andrew Sisters. They really. They had a very hip kind of jazzy Yiddish style, and they they were they were huge, but they also made records in English, and some of them are really unbearable. Like, remember the Sweeney Sisters sketch on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, a lot of it sounds like they had heard the Barry Sisters. Uh, like anywhere where there's a Jewish thrift store. There are Barry Sisters records, plural. <laughs> you know, they are 
the mainstay. My arrangement is almost 100% a transcription. Uh, I thought it was a little short, so I put enough room in for a guitar solo. But aside from that, I didn't really add anything to it. Jay Work is playing that really sleazy strip club alto saxophone that he does so well. Okay, and that tune in the middle of that set, now, uh, that was it? from the film... Uh, Yoshimbo. Yoshimbo, yes. Um, Kurosawa really flirted with noir a lot, even when he was making a samurai movie. And Yoshimbo is funny because it's basically like the man wanders into the wilderness and basically he's just killing people as he goes along in the most comical way. The theme that uh, Masaru Sato, who did a lot of the famous Kurosawa themes, it was something between an American Western and film noir. The funny thing is there's this one, when you listen, there's a recurring da-da-da-da, like <laughs> out of nowhere. And it reminds me of, um, I'm sure of a, a lot of your listeners are very aware of Shostakovich's Ninth Symphony. Yes. Yes. And I am, uh, at least. there's a little story behind that, which is Stalin said, okay, you're about to write your Ninth Symphony. Don't mess it up. <laughs> and Shostakovich hated Stalin. So he wrote this symphony that is just the most sarcastic thing. And in the middle of it, in different places where they don't go, he's writing all these badas, like <laughs> almost like a reveal on a game show. Like he's flipping the bird a little totally. bit. Totally. <laughs> and I think that's what Sato was doing on this da 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 da, like doom, 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 heroic. Doom. <laughs> so I, I always felt like th the influence of Shostakovich was very likely in there. And if I've pointed anybody, to listening to even five minutes of the Shostakovich night, you'll hear exactly what I'm talking about and going like, oh my God, I can't believe Stalin didn't understand that he was being pranked. And no, he did. <laughs> Shortly after the premiere of the piece, he gave a speech and had Shostakovich sitting up front and basically said, this kind of sarcasm will not end well for anybody in the arts who thinks they are smarter than fearless leader. <laughs> God. Okay, and then, of course, the top of that set was Chinatown. Whenever anybody says, what are the ten greatest film noirs of all time, Chinatown's always in there, and deservedly. It's one of the best movies ever made about trying to get around in Los Angeles without a car. Yes, yes. The whole second half of the movie is... How is Jack Nicholson going to get around without a car? Yep. Speaking of getting around, we have come to the end of this episode, and we are going to go into a two-parter. So stick around. Will our hero survive into the next day? So uh, we're going to we're going to sign off now. I want to remind you all that you can visit The Quiet Village by going to digitiki.com, where you can get a complete rundown of all the tracks used on this as well as every past episode. You can stream episodes, and you can also listen to Quiet Village Radio streaming Tiki Music 24-7. Until next time, we're just going to we're gonna leave you cliffhanging with the gumshoe in the alley. Beat up. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom, boom. Whoa. Different song. <laughs> and, and, uh, and we're going to come back. <laughs> <laughs>